You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Similar to Facebook and Instagram, Go Wild is a social media platform, but specifically designed for the outdoor enthusiast. If you love hunting, fishing, or just being outside, the Go Wild app is for you. It is a community of like-minded individuals that get together and share their outdoor experiences, and it's a perfect place to show off your pictures, your harvest photos, the big catch of the day, whatever. It's a great community designed for hunters and fishermen, by hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. So be sure to give it a try. You can download Go Wild wherever apps are downloaded, Google Play Store, wherever, or for more information, you can visit timetogowild.com. So take this time and download the app and let's get wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. J.D. Rogie. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Good. So, it's everybody in Iowa gets all fired up about deer hunting every year, right? Deer hunting seems to be uh, on top of the pile when it comes to outdoor activities for the the Iowa sportsmen. But there is a a group of people, and I ran into a couple of them who they don't care about. They don't care about deer. Once it's trapping season, they go full bore into trapping season. Now, where do you lie on that spectrum? You know, I am a dedicated trapper. I've been trapping for uh, this year my 34th season. Uh, started when I was 10 years old. Awesome. But, um, you know, I like my deer hunting too, but uh, but trapping's king with me, I guess. Right. So I, I don't know if I've ever told this story, uh, but my uncle had a trap line when, when he was in college and my grandparents were my babysitters while they lived on a farm. And, uh, while my parents went to work, my grandparents were my babysitters. So while my, uh, my uncle was at college, my grandma and I would run his trap line. And some of my earliest outdoor memories were my grandma in these hip waders going and checking, uh, checking a trap line in these uh, waterways and buffer strips in these cornfields. And it was my job to carry the baseball bat. So if there was any animal still alive, I was the ender. I finished it off, right? <laughs> so just imagine this old lady. Uh, and back then she was probably in her 60s. But uh, imagine this lady. She's in her 60s with this little five, six-year-old running around with him. And he's, he's the guy who's finishing the job. And that's one of my actual first outdoor hunting type of memories so um and that's what we're going to talk about today is if you are interested in trapping uh the discussion is going to revolve around how to start the basics of trapping so i'm going to ask you a question right off the bat very high level when it comes to to let's say myself if i after hearing this podcast want to go out and start a trap line what are some of the things that i need to consider um, first and foremost, uh, 
obviously you would need to go purchase yourself a license. I believe uh, it's $20.50, I believe, unless that's went up this year. Uh, I don't recall. Uh, but season starts on the first Saturday of November every year at 8 a.m. It's not a sunrise or sunset type thing like most other hunting is. Season starts at 8 a.m. opening day. Um, and it ends on the last day of January every year. Uh, so that's kind of nice. Our, our, our dates are somewhat set. It's easy to, to, to remember when, you, when it's go time. Um, you know, the first thing I would say somebody needs to do is either get with an experienced trapper to get some, a little bit of mentoring or to get online. Uh, when I was a, a boy and I was starting to trap, I was 10 years old. It would have been 19, I'm dating myself here, it'd be 1984. Okay. And it was during a time known as the fur boom where fur prices were very high. Everybody trapped. I mean, every school kid had a trap line. Everybody ran a trap line on their way to work. Um, everybody, everybody did some trapping. And secrets were kept very close to the vest. There, nobody was going to tell you what they were doing, where they were trapping. It was very, very tight-lipped. So it was hard to start out. Yeah. Um, I, I spent a lot of time wearing out every trapping book in my school library, I can tell you that. And, you know, and it's, you can learn some from that, but uh, kids have such a, kids and adults have such a great resource today with the internet. You can get on there and your learning curve gets a lot flatter very quickly. So, um, Iowa Trappers Talk is a, uh, www.iowatrapperstalk is a, is a forum site. Um, on the internet is Iowa based and it's a very good community of trappers. There's always young trappers getting on there and there's always people willing to help them out and get them going and point them in the right direction because it's, uh, it can, it can be overwhelming if, if you go out and you know, you see animal sign and you, and you set your traps, how you think you might supposed to be yeah. setting them. And, and, and it's easy for uh, a young person or a new person in the sport to get discouraged. Right. Okay. So, I want to back up and talk a little bit about that opening date because you said at 8 a.m. on November 1st every year is the, is the start date. Does that mean that – The first Saturday of November. Okay, excuse me. Yeah, first the Saturday. first Saturday of yeah. November. So does that mean that that is when you can go out and start putting your traps up or you can check your traps for the first time? That's when you can you can set them for the first time. Okay. All right. Um, there is a thing called pre-staking in Iowa for those that choose to do that, where you can go out and you can actually stake a trap in unset, and you can do that two weeks prior to that opening date. Okay. Uh, but you cannot set a trap. You cannot have a set working ready to catch an animal until eight a.m. on opening day. Right. Okay. So, and uh, on this particular podcast, I want to. Uh, keep this as high level as possible but instantly I start thinking about all the different animals that you can try to trap you know you can trap coyotes you can trap raccoons I mean you'll get possums muskrats I don't know is beaver legal to trap in Iowa yeah beaver actually had the longest season in Iowa of any fur bearer beaver season lasts longer past the last day of January beaver season lasts every year until April 15th oh okay so you get a good run at them. Yeah, they're very much a nuisance, so they, they give us plenty of shots at them. Gotcha. Okay. So what would you say is the most common trapped animal uh, in Iowa? 
You know, if you'd asked me that question when I was uh, a young kid starting out, I would have said muskrats. When yeah. I was a boy, there was, I mean, every mud puddle had a muskrat living there, it seemed like. Yeah. Uh, that's not the case anymore. There's been a decline in those animals uh, due to, you know, depending on who you talk to, due to whatever uh, has happened. But there's been somewhat of a decline in them. Uh, I would say the most trapped animal these days by far is raccoon. Raccoon. All right. So I think that would be a really good place to start. Because when I'm in a tree stand every year, I see raccoons all over the place. I see raccoons on my trail cameras. I see raccoons walking to and from, you know, farms, you know, to get to my tree stands and whatnot. So when it comes to uh, trapping raccoons, and let's start off with gear. What is What are some of the essentials that you need or the necessities that you need to start trapping raccoons? Well, you start off gear wise with uh, the traps themselves, and there's no no shortage of, of different gear you can use for raccoons. Um, if you want to talk basic foothold traps, uh, you're looking at a coil spring foothold trap. Then you're thinking of a one and a half, a one to one and a half size. Uh, there's a lot of different manufacturers, a lot of different brands out there. Uh, Duke is probably the most common brand. Just they're they're a, a, a budget price trap, but they're a, a good stout trap. Um, so a Duke one and a half coil spring is a, an excellent coon trap for, uh, for beginners and for honestly, for seasoned professionals like, um, foothold trapping, a Duke one and a half would be a good trap. Uh, you're going to need some sort of an anchor system staking. Uh, a lot of people use the regular T handle. It looks like a large T, um, rebar stake. You're going to want that at least two, if not three feet long, depending on what your staking conditions are. If it's a, you know, if your creeks are more of a gravel bottom or more of a mud bottom, depending on what, what those conditions are. Uh, I also use a lot of uh, cable stakes, which is a, uh, you use a driver and has a piece of cable attached to it with usually a metal fixture on the bottom that you shove into the mud. You give it a jerk and it pulls sideways and it holds very tightly. Um, and obviously you're going to need some sort of when you're trapping coons you're usually thinking of a uh let's say a pocket type set or a, a digging utensil of some kind uh and then as well as bait which is a um you know could be uh, you know many many different things um so recently so let's let's get into this okay so we talked about the trap itself right and mm-hmm. there it seems it sounds to me like there's a variety of all these different kinds um that you could possibly use. So when we're talking about like positioning and Mm -hmm. where I need to be placing these traps, right? I don't know Mm -hmm. anything about, you know, do I place it in a ditch? Do I place it in a, in a barn? Do I place it in a, in like a a crick system? Where, where are places that I need to be looking uh, to find, I guess, raccoon traffic? Okay. The biggest thing, um, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they put, they set their traps where they think the animal should be instead of where the animals are showing them that they are. Okay. You got to look for sign. You got to look for tracks for scat, um, trails. And, you know, along Creek systems, you're going to see the coon tracks in the mud. You're going to see the coon tracks in the water. You're going to see trails coming to the Creek systems. I, I, I go over this. I've got a uh, 11 year old boy, uh, my son that goes trapping with me, and and I always tell him we'll go down to a creek and I'll say, 
or I will go to any kind of a location, a farm type location. I'll say, show me where the, where the animals are going to be. And he knows by now from, from hearing me talk to him, they need food, they need water, they need shelter. And they travel the, the quickest, easiest route in between those three things. Okay. Uh, so that's where I look. Um, like I said, it, along the creek lines, um, hollow den trees, old farm places, uh, old building sites, corn cribs, barns, old houses, um, cornfields in general. Um, you'll, you'll have some trails coming in out of bean fields, but usually they're more of a transition thing. They, they, they beat a patch of the corn, uh, feedlots where there's cattle, you know, there's always cattle feed. That means there's going to be coons there. Yeah. Places of that nature are good places to, to, uh, to set your traps. And if you're going to be trapping around an active farm site, uh, going on to equipment again, I would suggest people try to find, uh, dog proof traps, which is a, a coon specific style of trap that are very, very popular right now. And they're very uh, easy to use. They're, uh, they're basically an idiot proof trap, uh, stake it in, put some bait in them, set them, put them on coon sign and, and, uh, come collect your coon. And that's one of those traps that it's like a tube, right? And they put their hand, they Correct. reach their hand up in it and it, Okay, mm-hmm. a dog a dog can't get in that. Uh, the the trigger is inside at the bottom of the trap, and a dog can't manipulate that trigger. They don't have uh, dexterous enough paws to do gotcha. so. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, because that's one thing I remember when I was a kid I'd run those trap lines. Every every once in a while, we'd get a cat in one of the, mm-hmm. you know one of the traps, and I take it that's a different that's a different style of trap. Yeah, yeah. They, these uh, dog proof traps have just been. Oh, I suppose they've come out in the last, you know, 15 to 20, 20 years, probably, I would say. Yeah. And, uh, and they've really, they've become, they're a more expensive trap than a foothold trap, but they've become more affordable now. And they're, uh, they're, they're a very, very popular option. Gotcha. And okay. they, they'll, they'll get you onto a lot of properties that, you know, a lot of places, if I go up and ask the farmer, Hey, would you mind if I trap coon? And he's going to say, you know, I don't want you to catch my cats and dogs. And I can show them that trap. Uh-huh. Uh, that'll open a lot of doors for you. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So any other like locations that a, a guy needs to really take a look at before, you know, I, you know, access is everything. And are there any rules and regulations about trapping on public land? You are allowed to trap on uh, the road right away, which is uh, a fancy term for ditches. Yep. Uh, you're allowed to, to trap the road right away in Iowa. Um, but it does come with some stipulations, uh, dog proof and foothold traps. You can set closer to farm places, um, snares or conibears. You have to be at least 200 yards from, uh, an occupied, uh, residence or a occupied, um, uh, confinement site. Gotcha. Those two types of traps, you have to have permission to be within 200 yards. Uh, otherwise you could set, you could set dog proofs or something of that nature, a foothold type trap closer. Um, it's always good to ask, you yeah. know, most people don't mind if you're trapping the coons. Um, but those are the stipulations on that. If you're using, uh, snares and conibears, uh, conibears, I don't do a lot of conibearing in the ditches, but I believe it's five feet from the fence line. Whereas snares, if you stake the snare in and you extend that snare fully, pull that loop close and extend that snare fully, it cannot touch the fence. Okay. They so, don't want animals hung up in the fence. So from the from the ground to the bottom strand of barbed wire or whatever it is, it can't touch? 
Yes, from wherever that sna- that snare is staked in. If you stretch that snare out fully, oh, if it's a okay. three foot snare, I it gotcha. has to be so the snare cannot touch the fence. I gotcha. So after the animal is caught in it, it doesn't just go and try to rip Correct. its Okay, gotcha. All right. It can't go get tangled in the fence. Right. Okay, it makes sense. All right. So um raccoons most popular. Uh we talked a little bit now about, you know, where, you know, where we can um, where we can uh, look, I, I guess, look for other than scat and maybe a, a beat and footprints in the mud. Is there any other telltale signs of where raccoons are traveling or living? A lot of, uh, you know, a good a good place to trap coons is in den trees. Uh, coon are notorious for denning up in hollow trees. Uh, you'll be able to see uh, the bark peeled away where they're climbing up the trees on certain trees. You'll be able to see around the holes in the trees where they're climbing in and out, where they're scratching, scratching around the edges of the hole. Uh, those are also good things to look for. Same way when you're, when you're dealing with uh, old farm sites, building sites, you're going to see spots where they've, uh, where they may be going in, in and out of an old hole in the barn. They're scratching it. They're, they're, they're dirty and they're getting, they're, they're slicking the hole up where they're going inside of it. Um, things of that nature. That's what I'm looking for when I'm, when I'm coon trapping, I'm looking for, either a plastered in trail tracks in the mud scat or I have evidence they've been going in and out of something. Okay. All right. So just, uh, just for someone who, you know, a lot of people listen to these podcasts and they, they say that they want to hear somebody tell them what they need to buy. So from a trap perspective, what is your recommendation for a rookie trapper that wants to catch raccoons? My recommendation, if you were going to go out and start tomorrow, would be to go out and buy a dozen Duke one and a half. Uh, it's a good strong coil spring trap. If you're choosing to do dog-proof traps, I would buy uh, Z traps. Probably they're a, a dog-proof trap. They're powder coated, so the coating holds up nicely, and they come in white and brown. Uh, that white can be a good attractant just in itself. The white powder coat on the trap uh, for the raccoons. Uh, I would buy a dozen rebar stakes or, uh, another thing that I, I, I am very big into, uh, and I'm, I'm a snare manufacturer, but I'm a, you know, a big snareman also is, uh, that's a great way to take raccoons is, is in snares. Okay. And, uh, so, uh, you know, a dozen raccoon snares and, uh, and a dozen stakes, you know, that, that would be a good place to start. Um, equipment wise, bait wise. You know, a person's going to have to have bait to, to attract these raccoons. Right. Um, if I'm trapping around a farmyard, I'm using something sweeter. I'm not. I'm not. The dog-proof traps will not will not catch a dog. It is possible to catch cats, though it doesn't happen often. Yeah. But it is possible. But if you use a sweeter bait, they don't show any interest in it. Uh, a kid could. Uh, put some fruit loops in there and, you know, score a little bit of molasses on it and, and you're going to catch coons that way. Okay. All right. So uh, if I'm, if I'm trapping a Creek line and I'm looking for bait, I'm looking for chunk fish or, uh, or ground fish type bait. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, w- would that sweeter, would that sweeter fruit loop and molasses, uh, bait work in a Creek system as well? It'll work. Uh, it doesn't quite have the attracting, the drawing power that fish does. Okay. Um, fish obviously has more odor added to the fact 
if you're using fish and you're down in the creek system, you're more likely to catch other species too. I mean, you can catch mink, you can catch otter, you can catch even muskrat and beaver and be attracted to fish at times. So yeah, it's a, a little bit more of a, a home run hit than uh than, than the your your sweeter type baits would be down there. Gotcha. But okay. they would work. Okay, I gotcha. All right. So um, other than other than ground fish and you know what you mentioned about Fruit Loops, is there any other bait like? for some for for some reason and i don't know i I think about some kind of stink bait like you know the kind of stink bait that you put on um that you put on trouble hooks to go catch catfish do they make (laughs) do they make baiting type uh do they make bait in cans or sprays or uh i guess tubes that you can use for trapping there are hundreds literally hundreds of manufacturers of of uh prepared trapping baits Okay, and um, do they work as good as the real thing? They're actually probably better. Okay, they have a more of an array of smells. Um, like I said, it's it, there's nothing wrong with a good chunk of fish or some ground fish, but in a lot of these baits, when you're talking raccoon wise, many of them will be based off of ground fish. Okay, but they have ingredients added to them that uh, that really make them shine. Um, there's a if a person's talking about prepared coon baits, um, there's a uh, ADC's raccoon payback is a good, very good uh, prepared coon bait. Uh, any any version of the Hanson formula coon bait is an excellent coon bait. There's been hundreds of thousands of coons caught on that bait. Uh, I mean, there's I could go on and on. There's there's just you know backwater bait makes some some great baits. There's just an array, a huge array of of uh, of bait makers and the gotcha. different baits they, they offer. I mean, it's, it's, uh, so they're there. They're literally, literally hundreds of choices. Okay. All right. So that's good. And can you buy all the gear that you need, whether it's steaks or traps or bait? Can you buy all that stuff at a sporting goods store? Let's say like Shields or Bass Pro Shop, or do you have to go to a more specific type retailer? You can do either. Uh, there are trapping specific retailers, uh, but Shields does carry trapping equipment. Um, okay. Shields actually carries my snares uh, that I sell, and there is, uh, and they carry a, a large array of baits. And I believe they carry Duke traps as well. So there, there's, there's a person could absolutely get started by a stop at Shields. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So. Now, you know, we talked a little bit about the most popular animal, the raccoons, and I think this is a good spot to transition because we've talked about all these different traps, and you mentioned in some of these crick systems that if you're using a specific bait, you might also run into a, you know, like mink or otter uh, or maybe even a muskrat. Is there, if you go away from raccoon and you want to approach one of these other species, does the strategy change at all or is it relatively the same setup? Uh, it depends on which animals you're going for, but let's say we're say we're sticking to a Creek type Creek type system. Uh, we're going to trap a Creek. Now what I can do in a Creek is there's, uh, there's several different sets that I can make that are somewhat of a Jack of all trades type set. Uh, there's a, a pocket set, which is as old as time. And it basically, I'll take, a, for instance, a tile spade, and I will dig into the bank. I won't want to go any wider than the blade of the tile spade, about four to five inches. 
and I'll dig what looks like a somewhat looks like a muskrat den. Looks like a pocket. Okay. I'm digging a hole in the bank at the water level, and I'll probably dig that at least a foot deep. Uh, in the back of it, I'll I'll take a, a chunk of fish or a carp head or something of that nature, okay. and I'll stick it in there and I'll take my my tile spade and I'll shove it way back to the back of the pocket so it's pinned in the back of the pocket, wedged in there good. And I'll take my one and a half coil spring, and I'll stake it well. Because the animals will fight very hard, and especially if you're talking other species too. Coons, coons fight hard. Coons are big and strong. Uh, when you start talking about getting into maybe an otter, that's a whole new level. They they really they really work a, a trap, boy. They they they've got a lot of fight in them. Okay. Uh, but I'll stake that trap very tightly, and I'll set my trap, and I'll put it right in the mouth of that pocket of my hole I dug in the water. Usually I want at least a couple inches of water covering my trap. Now, when I put that trap in there, you got to do what's called bedding the trap because I don't want to just set it on the bottom of the creek and it's loose. And if a coon comes along or anything comes along, coon in particular, how coon hunt the water, they're always, they have those dexterous paws and they're always feeling. They're almost like hands. And I don't want them to feel that and feel something loose. They're going to pull and tug at it, maybe snap my trap or flip it over or pull it out of the way and not get caught. So what I do is I take that trap and I bed it and I kind of somewhat rotate it back and forth, almost like I'm screwing it down into the mud a bit until it's bedded firmly. It's solid in place, not going to move. And then I'll take the tr- chain of that trap that goes to my stake and I'll push that down in the mud as well for the same reason. I don't want that coon to come along and be working his paws in the water, trying to feel for something to eat. And he feels that loose chain. What's he going to do? He's going to pull on it and he's going to pull my trap out of the way where I don't He's going to pull it from the position I want it in. So I have my trap bedded, my hole dug, baited, and staked firmly. A set like that, a pocket set, that's going to take just about every animal that frequents that creek. Okay. How long does it typically take from a time perspective to properly, you know, once you've found a location that you feel animals are moving through, to set it up? That's that's entirely an experience thing. Okay. Um what I tell people is, and I've preached this in some of the articles I've written as well as some other things, is uh, when I was a kid and I would read the books to learn how to how to trap, and, and boy, you had some of these guys, they really did some complex things. I mean, they are, they did a bunch of things that I look back on now are completely unnecessary and are just time burners. Right. So what I tell people is simple, effective sets, like the set I just described, and master making that set so you can make it very quickly and make a lot of them and that's going to make you extremely successful based off of much more successful than it would uh any other any other thing you're going to do that's going to that that, that is a time consuming uh, set so when i when i go down i'll have my traps and i use like i said you're a cable staking system so i have that all wrapped around the trap and i have all my traps in a, in a large tote in the back of my pickup. So I will grab every spot I make. I always make more than one set. Um, especially early in the seasons, coons oftentimes travel in groups or I want to have plenty of sets, uh, you know, set there. If I catch a coon in one set and another coon comes by or an otter comes by later on, or a mink comes by, I want to be able to take that animal as well. So I always make more than one set. So, uh, let's say I, 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 look down a section of creek and I decided I'm going to put three pocket sets in this section of creek. 
I'll get out of my truck. I'll grab my tile spade, my three traps that already have my staking system on them. I'll grab my driver and I'll grab my bucket of bait. I walk down to the creek. I pick my locations. I drop a trap at each location. I start digging holes. I'll get my holes dug, stake my traps, set my traps, bait all my holes, and I'm out of there very quickly. Okay. Okay. So, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it's basic understanding. Uh, the better or the more you do something, the better you're, and faster you're going to get at it. Now, yeah. for for a new person, how many traps would you recommend starting off with? You know, um, I think a, a new person, if they're going to start off, they're better off to, they want to have enough out so they're going to consistently catch. But at the same time, I think they'd be better off to um, to make sure they're not overwhelming themselves. And they're still focusing on making good, solid sets. I would think two dozen is a nice place to start. Okay. That's two two dozen chances every day to have some catches, but it's also not so much that it's really going to um, tax them as far as time, and they're going to be able to get their technique down. Gotcha. Okay. So, and I'm just curious at this point, in your prime, when you were running the most traps, the biggest trap line that you ran, how many sets were you were you checking <laughs> in a day? Well, like I said, I'm a big snare guy. Yeah. Uh, and I run a lot of snares to this day. And the most I've ever had out, I used to run with a partner, uh, John Lentz. He's an exceptional trapper. Uh, when me and him, the biggest line we ever had out, we had 667 snares out across four counties. Oh, boy. Now. And we had, we had from, now we pre-staked those snares. Right. So we had everything staked out. All we had to do on opening day was go around and set and set and push. And we were running ditches. And, and boy, let me tell you, you'll, you'll be worn out by the end of the day. But. Uh, at an 8 a.m. start, we had all those set by 7, 7 p.m. that night. Gotcha. Now, is is this something that w- when you check traps, is this a once every 24 hours thing, or do you let them set a couple days? How often do you check traps once they're set? State law, all your sets have to be checked every 24 hours. Okay. Uh, there is an exception to that. If the set is designed to drown, uh it circumvents the 24-hour check law. So, for instance, if I have um, beaver sets in this creek and I have them set on raccoon sets or whatever kind of sets, and I have them set on a drowner, a one-way slide, which means that animal's going to get caught in the trap. He's going to go down the one-way slide into the deep water and drown and be dead. Uh, I don't have to check that trap every 24 hours. Okay. Uh, most common traps have to be have to be uh, checked every 24 hours. Everything else has to be checked every 24 hours, yes. So... You're telling me that when you had this 660, you guys as a team had to check 600 traps in 24 hours. That's correct. Woo! Did you have it was a, a big did, day? Did you have a job back then? I did. Yeah, I had a job. I would take vacation. Oh wow! And I, I do the same thing even now. Now, granted, I don't run. I'll run um, usually right now. This year, I didn't run quite as many. Fur prices are a little lower this year. And, uh, and with the weather, it was kind of strange the first, first couple weeks of the season here. I didn't run quite as many as usual. Yeah. Um, but myself alone, I'll run between two and 400 sometimes. Okay. All right. And how long does that take you on a, on a given day? Is that an all day thing? 
Uh, you know, it really depends on the catch. Now, yeah. if it's uh, if the coon are really running, let's say I have a big coon line out and the coon are really running, yeah, it uh, it'll take you all day. When we had the, that uh, large line out the one year, and that's how we used to run. We used to run big lines like that every year. And it would be, uh, and you know, we'd start at, you know, five, six in the morning and we'd be done. It'd be after dark and we were getting done checking. Gotcha. Okay. And let's see here. So, you know, we've kind of talked about the whole, the whole basic gamut now on, um, on how to trap and bait and whatnot for, for beginners. Now is scent, cause I know for some animals it is and some animals it's not so much like human scent on your traps uh is that a concerning factor for a a basic guy like hey man you got to make sure you're wearing gloves and rubber boots and you can't put any scent on the trap is that is that something that a basic guy needs to worry about you know um when you're concerning when you're thinking about scent on your equipment you're thinking of canine trapping fox and coyotes okay um that's honestly really the only the only type of human scent control where it matters Gotcha. Uh, everything else, nothing's going to shy away from your set because there's human scent on it. Now, myself, I recommend wearing gloves and not because of the fact of, of something's going to smell you, but because when I handle coons, I wear gloves. Coons are nasty. Coons dig in garbage. Coons, you know, live in den trees and they urinate on each other and they, they're they just kind of somewhat of a nasty animal. Right. So when, I, when I'm handling coons, I'm wearing gloves. There's a lot of, of, of animal-born illnesses that you can catch from some of these animals. So it's good. It's a smart decision to wear gloves when you're handling them. Uh, but, I mean, as far as, as, as scent, when I, if I am coyote trapping, I'll wear a pair of, of uh, leather gloves, clean leather gloves, when I'm making my sets and whatnot. But I don't, uh, I don't go crazy on the scent control, I guess. On my traps, my equipment, I want my equipment to be clean when I'm canine trapping. Uh, but I mean, as far as the rest of it for my coon traps or any other species, I'm not worried about it. Cool. So from a, does canine trapping now, I feel like that's a a new ball game when you start talking about trapping. Is is that Mm -hmm. true? Or, I mean, does, does the game change from equipment and strategy at this point? Yeah, it's, uh. It is different. It's, you know, you're looking at usually larger equipment, heavier equipment, um, different setting tactics. It's, you know, obviously you're, like I said, you're dealing with scent control. Uh, you're dealing with, I mean, this is Iowa. You're dealing with freezing conditions. You know, you're, you're trying to keep your sets working when the, the ground starts to freeze, yeah. which is a chore. Um, I don't do nearly as much canine trapping as we used to uh myself now uh, my old partner john who i mentioned earlier that's what he does now he's just a coyote trapper and uh but you know and, and does well at that but um generally if i'm going to go after coyotes i'm going to use snares it's uh a little simpler and, and and not quite as much uh messing around as the dirt trapping is for the same result gotcha gotcha and for the guy who's interested in, you know, what these, what the prices are, because obviously there's a, uh, you can sell these furs, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Is there a law that says if you're a trapper, you have to, you have to skin the animal or because sometimes people like for me on the farm that I deer hunt on, there is a huge, there was a huge explosion in the coyote population this year. 
So, sure. you know, like if, if I trap, is there a law that says I have to skin this animal out and sell the fur or can I just treat him like a varmint? There is a, uh, a wanton waste law that you cannot, uh, you can't trap fur bearers and just dispose of the carcasses for, for no reason. Now, if an animal's a nuisance, uh, that does change things. If you're, right. if you're, if you're nuisance trapping, um, the same way as nuisance trappers who, you know, wildlife control operators who, who, who do some nuisance trapping for farmers in the off season, obviously they're not selling those furs. So they have to be either, uh, burned, buried, or taken to a landfill. Okay. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're trapping coyotes on your, on your property and just for, for predator control, uh, would you have to do that? No, you could dispose of them like a, a nuisance trapper would dispose of their catch. Gotcha. Okay. But, but honestly, if you're, if you're trapping during, during fur season, why not sell them and make some money? And, and it's, uh, that way it's not wasting the animal, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, also coyotes are, are somewhat of a, the hot ticket right now, as far as their, their, uh, that seems to be what the fashion industry wants. They're, they're, uh, they're in demand. Okay. So from a, from a, a, a price standpoint, what does the average, uh, I, let's say raccoon pelt cost? Oh boy. Um, I don't know if there is an average, or but what, uh, what you can make, you off know, of it. last year, I think I got about eight bucks a piece out of mine. And okay. that was, uh, you know, for the commodity, so yeah. obviously the prices fluctuate uh, widely, um, and widely based they fluctuate widely based on the individual animal and, or or how you handle that animal after the catch. Uh, you know, some people they go out and they catch them in a creek and they're a muddy mud ball and they take them to the fur buyer and sell them just like that. They can't expect top dollar. Whereas other people, uh, you know, they may skin them, clean them, uh, fluff them up nice, you know, brush them out, and they're and they're selling a, a, obviously a much better product to the to the buyer. Um, and there's there's many different ways too that obviously a person can market as fur. That's a good a good uh, topic in its own right. That's one of the most commonly asked questions probably is some of the young trappers around now is okay. I went out and trapped these animals. Now where can I sell them? Yeah. Um, you know there's there's several fur buyers in the state that they run a route where they might be okay. It's Saturday at two o'clock. They're at a certain gas station in this town or that town. You know, and and a lot of people sell to them. Um, I prefer, I go to the, uh, Iowa Trappers Association holds a fur auction in Boone every year in January. Uh, this year it's on the 5th of January at the Boone County Fairgrounds. Okay. And, uh, they have it inside of a big building and you can have, um, your pelts can be completely finished, skin scraped, dried, or they can just be green skinned, which means they're just skinned off the animal and, uh, you know, and, and put into, into bundles pretty much. And, um, when you, when you, you have to get a, a seller number through the Iowa Trappers Association and, and you can go there and sell your fur. It's a big open building and they usually have 10 to 12 buyers there. And when your number comes up, your fur goes up there and the buyers bid against each other for your fur. And, you know, you obviously, you know, if you have 10 people there bidding against each other for that fur, you're going to get better prices than you do with one person saying, well, I'll give you this. Right. right. Uh, really good, really good, good, uh, good way to sell your fur. I think they allow 60, 60, if I'm not mistaken, buyers or excuse me, sellers every year. And, uh, it's really a good way to market your fur and it, you know, supports the trappers association at the same time. 
So are there any buyers that take the whole animal or are you as a trapper responsible for skinning that animal out? No, there is uh, quite a few of the route buyers, uh, the ones that come around from town to town, they'll buy them in the carcass. Okay. Uh, generally, you get a few dollars less. You get, obviously, you get more money if it's skinned than if it's in the carcass. Okay. Because they have to, you know, pay somebody to skin it. They have to dispose of the carcass. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things they have to do there. So, uh, generally, you're going to get less for a, a carcass animal than you would for a, a green-skinned animal. Right. Okay. So then, from a, from a skinning perspective... You mentioned something about green skinned versus what was the other term you used? Uh, finish. Finish. Okay, so a finished uh, a finished skin. Does that mean it's been dried and tanned and everything like that? Uh, not tanned. It's been. It has been obviously you skin it. It's been flesh, which means they take a, a flesh and double handle knife and scrape the, all the fat off it, all the fat and the membrane and everything off the hide, and then it's put on a wood stretcher and uh, and so it's stretched so it keeps its shape and dried like okay. that. Okay. And then the other the other option would be green and that's just taking it off the animal and then yep. th- throwing it in a garbage bag or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean it, we just uh when I when I skin my I green skin all mine and that's how I sell mine. Uh so I have a uh a, a skinning machine in my shop and I um put them on it. I obviously I skin the animal and then I I uh take the, the fur and I roll it and put them in, uh, I've got several freezers out there okay. rolled up and put them in the freezers. Okay. So, uh, you can freeze, freeze them. Cause that, that was my question Correct. is if you catch something on, you know, second or third day of the season and you're not going to sell them until, you know, what Jan- mid January, January, or, yeah, January. Mm-hmm. What are the, what's the proper steps after you skin it? Then do you just throw them in a freezer? Yeah, I skin it and I roll it from the nose, roll it so the belly is rolled up in there, roll it so the back fur is out pretty much, roll it from nose to tail, and then I, I, I place them in the freezer and I only put one layer in at a time. So I put one layer in one day because, I have, like I said, I have several freezers. I put one layer in and I let that freeze for 24 hours before I put any more on top of them. So I make sure they're frozen completely through and they're not. I don't want any, any spoiling to happen in the, in the center of it if it doesn't get frozen completely. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So how long does it take? I mean, is how long does it take to be good at skinning? Let's say like going back to a raccoon. Is that another one of those things where it just takes more to do? perfect. Yeah. Okay. Cause that, that's something I've never done. I've never skinned an animal like a, a possum or a, you know, a muskrat or a mink or anything like that, but I've seen it done. The, the advice I would have for people that are, that are, skinning is you know if you put them if you put all the time and effort into going out and taking the animal take care of it after the catch too right. uh, you know some people let them lay out in their garage for two or three days and then they go out and skin them and when they lay around in the cold they that fat gets stiffer and they get basically more difficult to skin whereas if you skin them you know if you catch them that day and they're laying out there and you go out and skin them that night they're fairly fresh they skin a lot easier. Gotcha. Um, and you don't have to worry about spoilage that way. You know, if they're laying out there for a few days and you happen to get a warm day in there, well, you might start getting a little bit of slippage on them and then you pretty much, they're pretty much ruined. Um, but you know, practice makes perfect on skinning. It's, it's, uh, there's definitely there. That's another thing I would, I would 
you know, highly suggest that uh, people consult YouTube on because there's, you know, there's a lot of different techniques and, and uh, you're going to find one on there that, that suits you well and that you can do well and, and you're set up for. And, uh, and it's, it's once you, you get it down, it's not bad. Uh, obviously people are somewhat slow at it and they struggle at first usually, but that's just a learning curve like on anything else. Right. Okay. Uh, and then like one of the last things that, uh, I want to ask you is, and I'm a, I'm a very firm believer in being able to learn from mistakes. What are some of the biggest mistakes that a rookie trapper will make that maybe you can help them, uh, shrink their learning curve on? Oh, wow. How much time we have left? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it is, you know, when, like I said, when I was young, I didn't have anybody show me how to trap. I tried to learn from books, and I'll tell you, the learning curve was long. So it's, you know, there, there's a ton of mistakes, and that's what you have to be able to do is learn from your mistakes and read signs. So you think, okay, what happened here? I didn't catch him today. Oh, he came in this way, or he did this or did this, you know. Um, some of the biggest things I see people do is uh, not properly, let's say we're going back to creek trapping not properly bedding their trap. They just lay their trap there and the chain is loose and they can't understand why they keep getting uh, snap traps or they're catching them right by the tip of the toes and they're just pulling their, their toe out or, 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 you know, that nature. That trap needs to be firmly bedded so it's not moving. It needs to be screwed in there tight, firmly bedded, the chain buried. Then you're going to get a good catch. That's a very, very common mistake I see people making. Um, like I said, I do a lot of snaring. Um, I can go on and on about mistakes I see people make that are snaring, but, um, you know, not gang setting is, is a big one, not setting, you know, people come in and there's a really, really good trail. The things beat right down through the grass, right into the mud, and they'll set one snare on one side of the road. That's a huge mistake. Once I, like I said, coon travel and impacts and your truck fills up a lot quicker when you're catching two and three at every stop when you're catching one. Um, so if I have a really good beat in coon trail, I want to set two on each side of the road. I don't want to set just one side of the road because if you look, trapping is very much about reading sign. Trappers, I think, are closer to their, their quarry than any other outdoors people because you have to be able to read sign and see what they're doing when they're not there. When, when I have a, a good trail coming across the road, if you look in the fine dust at the edge of the gravel road, First off, you'll see the tracks of what animals using that trail. You're going to be able to tell what, what animals using that trail. Is it coons? Is it coyotes? What is it? Gotcha. And secondly, what you're going to see is not every coon or whatever that comes down that trail goes straight across the other side of the trail. Some do and some don't. Some of them, they come on off that trail onto the gravel road. They might walk 100 yards down the gravel road and then go off on another trail. So if you only set one side of this trail, if an animal happens to walk down the gravel road from another trail somewhere and goes on the other side, you just miss it. So always set both sides, always gangs that always set more than one set. If a spot looks like it's good enough for one trap, it's probably good enough for two. If it looks like it's good enough for two, it's probably good enough for four. And that's, that's something I, you know, that'll really help your catch. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a big piece of advice I'd give trappers. that will really, really help them out. Perfect. Uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of things. A person's got to be. This is a, definitely a sport, and a person's got to be able to uh, adapt and learn from your mistakes. That's for sure. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And maybe you know the answer to this. Maybe you don't. But do you? Because you've referenced YouTube a couple times. Um, is there mm-hmm. a specific YouTube channel that you that 
we might want to point people into, uh, you know, for some good learning content? Uh, boy, there's, uh, you know, uh, I would reference YouTube, but you have to kind of pick and choose what you watch because there's a lot of information and just like anything else, there's a lot of misinformation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a YouTube channel on there that I put, um, trapping and snaring videos, mostly probably snare heavy on there because I'm a snare guy, um, is Roadrunner Snares. Okay. Uh, that's my business. That's my channel. Um, also there's uh Hoosier trap supply. I believe they, they've got, you know, quite a few videos on there as well. Um, and they, they have some, some decent things on there. Um, but there's, there's a lot of them. There's probably too many to mention. I don't personally spend a lot of time on YouTube watching them, right. but I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there and, uh, you know, like I said, a person just has, has to, has to be able to sort what's, what's information, what's misinformation sometimes. Absolutely. Well, JD, man, I really appreciate you t- uh, hopping on the podcast and chatting with us a little bit today about uh, trapping and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Well, thank you very much. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. If you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Also, for more information about how you can subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman magazine, visit iowasportsman.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.